I'm going to go, I'm going to go greater than or equal to five sacks. So five sacks are greater. That's going to be my bold prediction for, okay. for this weekend. All right. Go on Mountain Dew bold and not surge bold. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the R&R CatCast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Finally, a defining moment in the Jeff Chode era. That is not Cat Grizz. Cats made a statement underneath the lights. And now we look to a familiar foe from the Missouri Valley Conference. How are you doing tonight, Thorny? I'm doing great, and you know why? Because it's a great day to be a Bobcat. It feels good this week, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Saturday night was, was great on my part, and it was a little bit wild as I was watching the game. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, it feels good to be on the back end of an awesome victory. Big win. Biggest win. Like you said, outside of Cat Grizz, for sure. But we'll get into it. For sure, man. All right, just a little show recap for all of us here. Thanks for listening, by the way. We're going to look at some news. Um, We're going to do a little game recap on SEMO. We're going to look ahead to Western Illinois. We have a special treat. We were fortunate enough to have Scott Holland on. He's the sports editor from the McDonough County Voice. He came on and talked with Ryan and I about Western Illinois. Finally, we're going to end with some bold predictions. We'll recap our buy or sell, or excuse me, our bold predictions from last week, and we'll do a little buy or sell to end the segment. But first, you know what's coming next. What beer are we drinking tonight? Tonight, I have the Dragon's Breath Dark Hefeweizen from Bayern in Missoula. I've had it on the show before. Still like it. Still drink it. That is true. I, I recognize that beer right when you said it, man. It's, uh, it's a standby for you, huh? So, yes, it is. And I actually bought a few beers of theirs when I was in Montana. And as Gold Rush was just starting, I went in the fridge to crack a beer. And I was going to drink the Oktoberfest from the Bayern in Missoula. And I was like, no, I can't drink in Missoula beer right now. I'm going to jinx us. So I switched to that Kolsch that I've been drinking from the, uh, uh, what is it, Upslope? And yeah, so mm-hmm. whew, dodged a bullet there. You're welcome, everybody, for drinking the correct <laughs> beer. Well, Thorny, not only did you drink the correct beer, I wore my Bobcat boxers on Friday, excuse me, on Saturday, and I flew the Bobcat flag outside. So we're, we're making sure not to uh, you know, step on any cracks or white lines <laughs> or do anything weird that would you know, make, make our Bobcat stumble. So. Yep, it's all about superstition. There it is, man. Hey, so my beer I'm drinking tonight doesn't have a real proper name. It's from Parachute Brewing uh, over here in Spokane. I talk about them a lot. Um, it's an ale for ALS. And what that is is um, so a hop farm in Yakima Valley starting in 2013, Loftus Ranches and YHC Hops donates a special blend of hops to Right now, they said it was about like 100 breweries around the region. And with the intent that those brewers take those hops and brew a special beer um, to put out in their breweries for donations for 
um, ALS. And you can visit, uh, you can learn more about this at www.als.net. And we'll put that in our show notes. And the reason why this is special to me is my father has Lou Gehrig's disease, which is um, also known as ALS. He was diagnosed with it when I was in third grade. So he's been battling this more than 25 years, 25, 26, 27, 28 years now. Uh, So he is one of the rare fellows that I know who have had this disease for this long. I mean, when he was diagnosed, they gave him three years to live. And so, I mean, that's back when I was, what, 10 years old. That's amazing. um, So it's, yeah, it is. It's a a fantastic uh, testament to my dad's will and just his strength. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he's the strongest man I know, but he's also the weakest man I know because of this disease. And if, if you don't know about ALS, basically, it's a, a disease that deteriorates your muscles and um, will, you know, eventually be fatal. So uh, my father is strong in mind, strong in spirit, um, but has a very weak body. So uh, tonight I'm drinking uh, Perry Street's contribution to um, ALS for ALS. And for every pint they sell, they donate a dollar to um, ALS Therapy Development Institute. And um, I'm just happy and a privilege to speak on that behalf tonight. So there you go. Well, that's great. And yeah, we'll definitely throw a link or something in the show notes so people maybe can find some breweries participating that uh, can donate to the cause. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about the news. There's not much news that first came out to Montana State. The thing that is breaking is we moved up to number 10 in the Stats FCS poll. That seems about right to me. Uh, we were, what, 13th? So a win over number 12 takes us to number 10. Seems correct to me, as you and I talked about before the season ever started. It's like, are we a top 10 team? We have to prove it. That was a big step towards proving it, and we're now just cracking the top 10, but we still have a long ways to go if we're going to be a, a serious, legitimate top 10 team. But it's exciting to be number 10 because that position, positions us well if we do take care of business for the rest of the way out. Someone put out today, and I don't know who, but they said, it was on a tweet that we, last time we were in the top 10 was 2014 when we were at number eight, when we cracked the top 10. So first time under Choate then, obviously. So that's, yeah, it's exciting. All right. Any other news? Uh, There are things that came out. I guess we could talk about the injuries from the game, if that counts as news. We'll put that in this section. Do you have any information on the injuries to Isaiah and Fonze, Willie Patterson? All I've heard from the game is those two are the big key ones that I saw. I think it's a lower body injury for Fonze. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, some people were saying like hamstring, maybe. Well, um, I know he battled that hamstring all last year. At least Choke referenced that in his presser today. Uh, there was um, some speculation he might have been wearing a brace on his knee, uh, but he was listed as number one on the depth chart that came out today. Don't know if that means anything, but for Patterson, Patterson was not on the depth chart. Uh, He might be suffering a collarbone injury, a clavicle injury um, from what was reported. If that's the case, that's a real bummer for him. Uh, That might have been a repeatable injury from last year. Yeah, we'll get to the press conference in a second. But yeah, there was definitely no injury updates in the press conference, but that is classic Jeff Choate style. He does not talk about injuries whatsoever. But did Alfonso even rush the ball at all in the second half or was he just a halftime and that was it i think i can't remember he got no i think he uh 
after halftime, I think he was done. I mean, I didn't notice it because I just wasn't keying in on it. But then they panned to the sidelines, and there he was in a hoodie. I was like, oh, Vonce's in street clothes. So that was interesting for me to see. Yeah, I don't think he made it past halftime, bud. Yeah, I think he ended up with, what, 114 car- or 114 yards, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, he was – it couldn't have been for precautionary. We had the game in hand because it was 10-10 to 10 at halftime if he came out, didn't come in on that first series in the second half. So must be decently serious, but they thought they could win the rest of the game without him perhaps. But regardless, good to see him back on the depth chart, and hopefully he's good to go at Western. Yeah, hopefully. Well, let's move on to the presser. So did you happen to listen to that or see the video that MSU put out? I listened to it, yeah. One thing that stood out to me was Jeff Choke said, this is a game that defines who we are as a team. Uh, he was referencing how people were saying uh, that the SEMO game was a statement game, but he is putting more stock in this Western Illinois game, citing how after we beat Western Illinois last year in the gold rush, we then went on to South Dakota State and just laid an egg, essentially. He referenced that to his players, put it on their forefront of their mind, and is really stressing, you know, preparing full attention to Western Illinois, giving it their acute attention and detail to this game. What do you think about that? I think that's a great philosophy because this victory pretty much will be completely negated if we go on the road and lose to potentially a mediocre Western Illinois team. It's hard to see how the season's going to go, but they started 0-2, so it certainly wouldn't be a good look to go lose to the team that was picked eighth in the preseason poll in the Missouri Valley Conference who started 0-2. So it would definitely set us back. It's not like a, a breaker for the rest of the season, but if you're taking that next step, you have to win the big game, and then you have to be business-like, as he mentioned in his press conference, take care of business the next time you have an opportunity to do so. So I liked that. I liked that quite a bit. Yeah. If we don't go to Macomb and take care of business in, in a convincing fashion, it will feel a little bit like a letdown. So uh, absolutely, I think Choate's, Choate's getting the team in the right frame of mind to, to make that happen. So good on him. Yep. The other thing that kind of caught my interest was he compared the fourth quarter of SEMO to the fourth quarter of the Cal Poly game last year. And if those you don't remember, uh, Cal Poly much ran it down our throats and almost came back and won that game. So lack of focus is something we definitely have to, uh, fourth quarter, just because we're up two or three scores, can't let off the gas. It's the whole win big thing, right? Like you can't just give up and let the team back in. So that's another thing we've got to work on moving forward for sure. Yeah, we had zero points in the fourth quarter. Um, had some drives where we could have just really put them away. Went three and out a couple times in the fourth quarter. It was a little bit frustrating when the game was in hand, but it is frustrating when it is in hand at that point that we just don't run the clock out, run the ball down their throat, take their soul, as Jeff Chote likes to say. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about from the presser? Because I feel like we're pretty much starting to talk about the recap. Yep, let's move on. All right, so we typically start off doing a quick stats recap, and this might be the best stat I've seen from a Bobcat team in a long time. We held... SEMO, the number 12 ranked team in the country, to 3 of 15 on third downs. How good does that sound after last year being, what, 10th in conference in third down defense somewhere in there? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember that stat, but we were low for sure. I knew that's why uh, 
Well, I don't know if that's why uh, Ty Grigorak was shown the door, but uh, it's come up in those conversations. So <laughs> that's that's good to see for sure. But yeah, so three for 15 on third down. We hold them to just 12 first downs, 245 total yards. Santa Catarina was just 114 yards through the air, through the interception. Technically, he threw two interceptions, but we got a roughing the passer on Bryce Sturk that they didn't show the replay on uh, SWX. So I have no idea if that was legitimate or not. But what, regardless, doesn't matter. We did give up 131 yards on the ground, uh, but only 3.5 yards per rush. And Simo was 11 penalties for 97 yards. And honestly, they should have had a lot more. I thought they were a pretty undisciplined team, borderline. I'm not going to say cheap, but they definitely had some questionable things. And the Mitch brought definitely got punched straight in the face by like a hook that caught him in the face mask. They showed a clear as day on SWX and yet Mitch brought got the flag. He must've retaliated. It did not show that part, but so those are the uh, stats for SEMO. And of course the cats had 21 first downs, only five of 14 on third down. So that's something that absolutely needs to be improved. Uh, kind of the same thing as last year, big plays or nothing kind of seems how that goes so but we were 14 to 26 throwing the ball for 191 yards 265 yards on the ground 5.8 yards per rush which is exactly where you want to be if we're a rushing team between five and a half and six is really a dominating performance five penalties and we did lose that one fumble which would be i guess the jared padmos muff is i guess what that is right i guess that counts as a fumble yeah i was wondering i was when i was going back i was like Oh, what was that? Oh, yeah. Okay. That was Padmos. I guess that is a fumble. So, <laughs> yeah, there's some clarification on that. So, if you do see that stat as a fumble, that's the Jared Padmos punt fumble. <laughs> and pretty much that overall, just, just a, a debacle. Yeah. Yeah. That was not pretty unlike him. It seemed like it was a catchable one, too, like a little low, but you think it would have slipped by him. But that was pretty much a dominating performance. And, the, and honestly, the Padmos muffed whatever you want to call it, the fumble led to the only seven uh, of this, you know, 17 points for SEMO. So it basically kind of gifted them like, was that first down and from the 15 or something like that. So it was really good field position for SEMO, but overall just a dominating performance. What did you think of, let's start the hot topic. What do you think of Casey Bauman? I think Bauman really looked good. And one thing that was really um, impressive to me is how Bauman uses his feet to escape pressure. You know, he's such a big quarterback, you think you would be slower, uh, kind of. And we mentioned this guy a lot on our podcast, but Jack Rolovich was kind of the guy I keep equating to him in, the, in my mind. In a similar body stature, Rolovich was not quick to his feet. He would step up in the pocket a lot more. Bauman's got some lateral movement where he can really extend the play. He keeps his eyes down the field. Um, he's, you know, he's got a little bit to desire on the touch of his passes. He's missing some. Uh, I, he's missing some receivers. I think like I, I recall maybe like three or four passes that, you know, he hits and those are three or four touchdowns that we could add between Texas tech and SEMO. So um, there's some plays that he's just missing out there right now, but they're not by much, but he's doing a good job at not making mistakes. He hasn't thrown an interception yet. Knock on wood and uh, impressive. But, uh, you know, he's still got a lot to work on. But the upside is more than the downside right now. Well, you you mentioned that he's missing on the, some of those balls. But the, like you said, he's not turning the ball over because when he is missing, he's pretty much putting the ball only where his guy has a chance, even if it's like a 
no chance, but there's no way it's going to be intercepted. Like he's throwing, putting the ball in a good spot in terms of overthrowing it or just a little bit beyond the reach, but it's not going to get picked off. So that's good. So there's that. <laughs> that's the positive of his uh, inaccuracy on his deep ball so far. So I think he should talk to Daenerys McGee because Daenerys had such a pretty deep ball. And he put a little bit more loft. If you remember Daenerys's deep balls, they, were, they had a nice arc, and they would come down just perfectly. seems to me that Bauman is just rifling it down the field. It's more of a flat traject- trajectory, um, and it's just sailing you know, over the heads of the guys. And so um, if Daenerys and him could work together on that, that would be probably a quick fix for him. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's thrown a little bit off his back foot or if he's just not quite 100% comfortable yet or uh, if he's just straight missing some throws. But I really like what I see out of him, like you said, and I think those balls will come, and that's what we're going to need out of him. He's got to be able to connect on those 50-yard bombs every now and again. I also think I was I was expecting a big gear out of Travis Johnson from the receiver position, and he definitely had a chance to make a hard catch that went in it hit him in the hands. He didn't grab that, and I was kind of – a little disappointed. I'm like, that was a hard ball to catch, but those are the kind of balls that like top five teams make, you know, those are the kind of catches that elite teams just come down with. They just do. So uh, we got to be able to make some tough catches from a quarterback. who may not be super accurate right now. The receivers really got to go up and grab some balls. And that's where, again, we really missed, I think Jabari Johnson. Yeah. Aside from Johnson missing that one. And I remember exactly that play. When he was in the wildcat formation, he just didn't seem to have that quick burst that I saw last year. I don't think he was feeling 100% from his injury, and that's completely conjecture on my part, but he did not seem to have that burst that I'm accustomed to seeing him hit that hole with. No, I, and after you said that, you texted me that. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I could kind of see that because I hadn't really crossed my mind. But, yeah, it seemed, seemed a little half-step slower, just a little, I don't know. But you're, you're right. Someone was just not quite there. Maybe he just was a little feeling under the weather. But Yeah, he normally breaks through that first level, and he was just getting swallowed up in that first level a lot. And he was just not fighting through it. Like He was getting arm tackled, and he wasn't getting through those. And I was just like, you know, normal time he can bounce that and make – even if when he was getting hit last year, he was bouncing that and, you know, popping through. But uh, that was missing not yesterday, but on Saturday. No, for sure. And there was plenty of – holes being opened up like let's talk about the offensive line they were dominating and they were doing a great job against a pretty athletic front but I don't think they were very deep and I think that's ultimately what led to their demise but you could tell just even when we were struggling in the second quarter that we were just a physically dominant team and things were going to turn that way and a lot of the offensive line and a lot of that was uh RJ Fitzgerald I think kind of had a Curtis Amos game what do you think about that I I didn't notice RJ Fitzgerald Sorry, thorny on that. Really? So, yeah, he was doing some pan- pancake blocks, especially on that uh, Logan Jones. Uh, I guess that would be a, the pass from Travis Johnson. The <laughs> the little just kind of like hover the ball out in front of you, and the guy just like grabs it. That can't be that easy to do, actually. That's probably pretty easy to screw up. <laughs> Logan Jones is running like full steam ahead, so if like you throw that ball like a second, half a second late, it's gonna like, hit him in the head. But, yeah, there was a nice block by uh, R.J. Fitzgerald down the, on the flat there for sure. That's cool. 55-yard pass right there. <laughs> Travis yard. Johnson credited with a 55-yard pass for flipping the ball up that, yeah. two feet. Literally, like, <laughs> just, like, threw, like, a water balloon up in the air, just, like, hovered, and then <laughs> that's all he had to do. 
Not bad. Not bad way to go. I can make that pass probably. Probably. Maybe not. Thorny, I do got a question, and it was kind of something that Choate alluded to in the presser is how they're trying to get the ball into the playmaker's hands and how are they trying to manage that? What do you think about that? I think it's it's interesting because and people have been talking on the on the Bobcat Nation today about well, maybe we don't have a two quarterback system, we have a two offense system, and that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And it's not so much like a gimmicky, yeah, just bring in a guy that's kind of catch the defense off guard it's like a whole different feel to it it's like it's its own identity and i think the the have bomb and get a few nice plays and all right well we said we were going to do a travis johnson package here so let's do the travis johnson package there's got to be some real-time adjustments and thought process in that you can't just always go back to we said we're going to do it so let's just do it so i think that's kind of what he's talking about and it's it's just a hard balance to find but Clearly things are working and I think it's only going to get better as they kind of figure out this. I mean, let's be honest, this almost like new offensive philosophy that I don't think I've really seen anywhere to this level that we're trying to do right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. When you reflect on it like that, it is very unique. One of the ways I think they can maybe remedy some of that is just the people they put in the backfield who are not taking the snap. So keep, CB back there taking the snap, but, you know, have on his side Travis Johnson, have on his side Troy Anderson, and they have, but put both of them back at the same point, same time. When we run that um, Maryland eye or that that uh, diamond formation, <laughs> that's just like sometimes a four-headed monster back mm-hmm. there, you know, and when Troy's running it, it's it's magnificent. You know, it's just I love – I love that. You know, uh, to me, when I'm when we're seeing these third and shorts, like anything below third and five, yeah. I find myself saying, "Put Troy, put put Troy in and run it." You know, um, but that's not going to work uh, long term. I mean, it works now, but we saw when it didn't work, and that was when when we got to North Dakota State, right? And there's going to be that moment this year when people either key on to that end or we come across North Dakota state and we need to pass the ball or we need to do something different. Right. So, I mean, the easy thing is, yeah, put Troy back there. The better thing, the more productive thing down the road is to develop a different system that might include Troy and Casey Bauman at the same time. That's a good way to, to look at it. Like why can't you have Troy lined up right next to or right behind bomb in, in a third and five and then you can kind of hand it off to Troy or you can do play action to Troy and then throw it back to Troy. I mean there's lots of ways you can go about that but the kind of that goes back to what you're saying about bomb needs to you know, kind of control his touch on some of those short throws you can't go to third and five and have like a curl route and just throw it as hard as you can at your guy's face <laughs> it doesn't always work out because <laughs> when you throw it as hard as bombing does it's a little that's a little too much heat for a lot of guys to handle so He's got to kind of control that a little bit, but that's that's an interesting observation, and I can't argue with that because, yeah, eventually teams will figure it out, but I think the staff kind of banks on, all right, well, we're bringing in Troy Anderson at, at Wildcat quarterback. You know what's coming. I know what's coming. The stadium knows what's coming. Stop us. He's that special of an athlete, isn't he? I mean, we've been starting to take him for granted, but that the thought came to my mind, just this week for the very first time, there's going to be time when Troy Anderson's not out there. And who knows when that happens? You know, it might be, you know, after next season, it could be, God forbid, any injury. But, man, he is special. 
And I think I realized that when Kevin, Kevin Cassis, after the games, did, um, he just makes us better in some special way. And Troy Anderson is truly a transcendent player. He is. It's it's hard to put a finger on. And it's just, it's crazy because I thought, all right, he's 238. He's got to lose a step, doesn't he? Didn't look slow running the ball last night or Saturday night. Excuse me. I forget what day I'm at now. But yeah, I did not look slow running the ball at 238. It's crazy. Still running away from people. <laughs> Thorny, man, I, I got to bring this up because this is something I've been harping on for now two seasons. If you go back in our catalog and listen, I always talk about a defining moment in for Bobcat football in the Jeff Choate era. Was this a defining moment? I, I have to think hard about that one because I, my instinct is to say yes. My obvious instinct is to say yes, it was because we finally had some national hype on a game the Bobcats were part of, and we came through in the biggest possible way. So that from that aspect, yes, it is a defining moment. But uh, then you listen to Jeff Cho talk about nothing. It doesn't mean anything if you go to Macomb and Lane Egg. So I want to say yes, it's definitely a defining moment, but it still is like a to be determined in a way. If you, if we end up having the season I think we're going to have, you can look back and say that was the defining moment, but I think it's almost too early to say if it is or not. So there's a caveat in there, and that's that hinges on if we win and continue winning. So it can't just be a flash in the pan. It has to be forward momentum going here on forward. Because if you think about it, all the other great wins, the best wins that we've had have always been Cat Grizz, right? And those are the last game of the season. So it's kind of a weird dynamic because, all right, that was our best win, but all right, we finished five and six. So we didn't go to the playoffs. So whatever. We didn't have a chance to see what happens after that win. So this is the first time we've had a defining win in early in the season and especially out of conference. So it's hard to really gauge it yet because there's so much football left to be played. I would call it a defining moment. It was unique in the fact that it wasn't Cat Grizz. It was a game that had national implications. Number 12, number 13, see teams going at it on our turf, on our terms. It had everything for it. I mean, it was built up as a defining moment before the game. We came through. Uh, we fought through adversity, dominated the third quarter. The only thing um, that really gives me a little bit of pause was just some of the mistakes we had the first quarter and not being able to close out in the fourth quarter. Other than that, we would have blown this game out even more. To me, this is a defining moment. I don't think we will have a mishap at Western Illinois. We will get into that shortly. But I think this is a defining moment and puts us on a trajectory for the rest of the year. Absolutely. I will agree with that 100%. Right on. Well, I think we can wrap up SEMO. It was an exciting game, and it did not disappoint for sure. Sounds good. Yep, it was a very exciting win. And I will say that. Let me pull it up real quick here. Um, it's going to take me a second. But we did put it out there on our Twitter because I was curious, do people think that this is the biggest win in the Jeff Cho era? And surprisingly, uh, maybe not surprisingly, but uh, a majority of people definitely said no, it was not. It was uh, 71% said no. So I assume that's either Cat Grizz or Incarnate Word that they have to be talking about. We don't have any other wins against the top 15 teams, so not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel it might be the biggest win because well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm in the minority. I voted yes, this was the biggest win. Uh, I 
probably certain that the lion's share of the people would think that last year's cat grizz, which was, <laughs> it was the game, uh, but it's still cat grizz. Yeah, cat grizz is in its own category. It's almost an anomaly and an outlier to me. This is feels more uh, like the fabric of our team. It feels more like this is who we are, not some special occasion that we need to rise up. This just this felt more seminal to the Bobcats and the brand that they want to become and the year they want to have. So I'm, I'm sticking with this game. Yep. And I, I kind of feel the same way too, because yeah, I mean, this is the first time the team has really felt like, all right, this is who we are. Things are coming together. You can kind of actually start seeing an identity on both sides of the ball. Whereas yes, the cat Grizz game was kind of a big upset, but in, in some ways, I don't know. I just feel like this one is at bigger implications for the program moving forward than last year's Cactus. Not only that, I mean, I mean, we haven't talked about the defense, but the defense was legit, uh, just swarming, and and that is something that is just feels a little bit different. Like it feels like we're on next level than we were last year. So I remember Jeff Choate last year when we played Weber, or maybe was it two years ago we played Weber? Or was it last year? I can't even remember now. But he said we played Weber last year. He said like Weber looks like they have a Mountain West defense i kind of feel like we're starting to look that way too like we just have dudes across the board i thought chase benson looked outstanding i thought uh bryce sterk at defensive end obviously looked amazing mondre williams is coming along i think he can still has a higher ceiling than what he's showing i thought our linebacker and core played the best they've played all year the safeties kind of came back to form after as no fault to them being torched by texas tech I just thought it was a solid defensive performance all around. And I felt honestly started feeling bad for Santa Canarina because he was just getting murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His moxie definitely went down through the game. He started with some good passes and he was moving pretty good and connecting with Wilkerson. But Santa Catarina definitely got hit a lot. <laughs> and by the end, he was, I think he was a little gun shy there at the very end. I think Bryce Stark <laughs> had a lot to do with that. <laughs> and, uh, just got after him so i was super happy with that i was worried about santa Catarina. i thought he was gonna jordan johnson us up all day long but uh he did not no not i I credit the secondary quite a bit uh people may not agree with that but i thought some of those recovered sacks like he looked like he dropped back and he had three to four seconds to like look and his first read wasn't there look second read wasn't there and then by that time he was hammered so if you can take away someone's first two reads i think you're doing a pretty good job in coverage okay do you have any other thoughts on SEMO? Do you want to move on to Western Illinois? Let's move on. I, yeah, and that was such a dominating all-around performance, and I don't know where SEMO will end up. Is this going to be the fool's gold that it was when we beat North Dakota a couple of years ago when they were still yeah. ranked, and then they ended up like like winning like one more game for the whole year, <laughs> and that was like the third game of the season. <laughs> so we'll see where SEMO ends up, but just like the Texas Tech game, you don't want to get too down about the team after that game, and I don't necessarily want to get too high on the team after this game until we beat our next opponent, Western Illinois Leathernecks. So Western Illinois uh, is in the Missouri football conference for those who don't know. Uh, Last year, that was the year that they were supposed to kind of have their good year. They had a a really senior loaded team. Then they came to Bozeman with really high expectations. And that's when we first got our glimpse of the Troy Anderson quarterback spectacle that it was different than what it is turned into because Matt Miller was not yet in charge, but that's when we beat them 26 to 23. But this year they lost, what is it? uh, Eight of their nine all conference selections from last year. They're picked eighth 
out of the 10 teams in the Missouri Football Conference. They started 0-2 so far, losing to North Alabama, as everyone probably knows by now. The Grizz absolutely demolished on Saturday, and then they lost at Colorado State. I think they were down at 28-3 or 28-6 by halftime, so that game was pretty much over. So they were a talented team that they're kind of – Kind of like a, almost like a Southern Utah in a way. Like every once in a while, they'll have a really good year, but the rest of the time, they're kind of just stuck in the bottom half of the conference. So we travel to Macomb for that matchup. Uh, what are your thoughts on the matchup there, Foley? Well, from what I know, Macomb is hard to get to. Uh, Jeff Choate said it's a college town, so they will rally against uh, for their team on on Saturday, but I don't expect it to be a huge crowd. Uh, I think that analogy of Southern Utah is pretty apropos. I think MSU will be tested in this game. Um, They're going to have to bring their own energy, and they're going to have to show their toughness. The mental toughness of this game might be the most challenging part for the Bobcats. Absolutely. It's hard to go to a game. And I was thinking about that today. So the the first two games the Bobcats have played – they played in, what, 60-some thousand people down in Lubbock. I don't know what the attendance was, but somewhere in that range. And then pretty much a packed house for the most electric home game of the year outside of the year that Cat Grizz is in Bozeman. So 20,000 fans back in Bozeman. And now you're going to Macomb, Illinois, which is a college town. But, you know, what, five, 6,000 fans might be there. I'm just speculating. I don't really know their attendance numbers, but I know that they don't typically draw that well. Maybe for their first home opener, they might, but definitely a BYOE game. And that's going to be probably the single biggest factor to me is how we come off at a big win and a big environment. It seems to me that the Bobcats this year have a different mentality. I think Jeff Choches has nailed it this year on, on the mental front. And so I'm, I don't feel as nervous going into this game, but it's kind of one of those games like, you know, if we have a couple mistakes early on, and let's say the crowd's not, I mean, it's just lackluster. You know, let's say there's maybe like, I don't know, 5,000 fans there, maybe at most 10,000 fans. And it's it seems like ho-hum for the Bobcats. How do they respond when it's not high energy? How do they respond to their own mistakes if they're making them? Um, so that would be interesting to me. Yeah, so we've been kind of, I was just thinking while you're talking there, Jeff Choate has knocked keeps knocking check marks off the box, but one of the ones he still hasn't checked off yet is the ability to consistently win on the road. And this is another road test for the Bobcats against a team that they should be able to beat on the road. But Jeff Choate has a pretty poor record on the road, so that will be um, interesting to see how that plays out for sure. He acknowledged that today in his presser, and he said, you know, that's on me. Um, we played a tough schedule uh, in the last couple of years. Um, he said, but no excuses. And so he's acutely aware of, of that deficit. Um, and I, that's what makes me more confident going into this match that, okay, they're looking at everything this year. They're like, okay, this is the year we can make some hay. You know, this is the year we're supposed to win big. No, no stone left unturned. They're examining everything. Um, like I said, I think the mental part of this is so huge, and it just seems to me that they've upped their game this year. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely agree with that. So, so Bobcat fans with a fine ear will, for the interview we're about to play, will hear some things that might excite you in terms of, I think, a little bit what I think Scott Holland 
from the uh, was it McDonough County Voice. He said about his team, you'll you'll be able to hear some probably some matchups that you think will be favorable for the Bobcats. Some things that will make you think like, all right, the Bobcats should be able to handle this. So um, we're going to go ahead and play the interview for you now with uh, Scott Holland, the sports editor for the McDonough County Voice. Enjoy. Right now, we are fortunate enough to welcome in Scott Holland, sports editor of the McDonough County Voice. How are you doing, Scott? I'm all right. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good over here in Washington. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. We're going to talk a little bit of Western Illinois. We see your guy, you guys are off to like an 0-2 start, kind of a slow start. Uh, what are the impressions of the team so far, and what's the mood right now over in Macomb? I think it's a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of a disappointment. I think some of the things there people were hoping were going to be the strength of this team just really hasn't happened so far. I know four returning starters back on the offensive line, a really deep, talented defensive line. A lot of people thought, well, you know, that might be a big strength for this team, but right now Western's really struggling to get anything consistent going on offense, running or throwing the ball. And defensively, they've just given up a ton of big plays. I think they've given up five or six scoring plays of over 30 yards uh, this season. So it's just been a tough time just really kind of getting any kind of consistency on both sides of the ball. And that was a really big concern with them because Western graduated a ton of talent from a year ago, went the transfer route, and it was kind of trying to blend those guys in. And it, it looks good for three or four plays, but then three or four plays, you wonder if those are the same, same guys out there. So consistency's also been a real struggle for this team so far. You mentioned they're giving up some big plays. Is that typically, you think, through the air, on the ground, or just both? It's been a mixture of both, but it's mostly been through the air. You go back to the Colorado State game just the other day. First play from scrimmage, Colorado State went over top for a 77-yard play. and they, Western's been breaking in some new guys in the defensive backfield. They had to replace a couple cornerbacks. Their starting cornerback, uh, who was supposed to be their number one guy, he got hurt. He missed the game. They've had some transfers over there. They just have had a hard time covering one-on-one. And that defensive line, as I mentioned, was supposed to be a strength of the defense. They've just had a really tough time getting into the backfield and getting after the quarterback and making plays from behind the line of scrimmage. And when you can't put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and your guys are having trouble covering and having trouble communicating in the back third, it's going to lead to a lot of big plays. And that's been a major problem for that defense right now. So Western Illinois was picked eighth in the conference. Am I correct on that? Yes. Out of the yes, 10 teams. Uh, eighth in the Missouri Valley. Yep. Uh, but what were the kind of the expectations like locally, so we know the kind of the, the media, the national stuff, but what were the internal expectations? I think a lot of people thought that this had a, uh, this team has a chance to be a 500 or maybe even a playoff team. They did lose a lot of talent from a year ago, but they did bring a lot of guys back. There was a lot of hype surrounding a lot of the transfers that came into the program. Uh, so people really were expecting this team to be kind of maybe a middle of the pack uh, Missouri Valley team, but also to be right around that six and six, seven and five mark this season. Yeah, so that's that's interesting because we, you know, Western Illinois did play in Bozeman last year in a narrow twenty six to twenty three victory for the Bobcats, but obviously there's a lot of turnover there. So that's interesting to uh, that there's so many key differences between the players that were in Bozeman last year versus what will be in Macomb this year. Yeah, it's it's really been kind of iron. They're working in a lot of new guys at a lot of key spots. Western lost their starting quarterback. He was a three plus year starter, and Sean McGuire he graduated. Steve McShane was kind of their do all do everything back. He was their leading rusher. He was 
led the team in receptions. He was also their big play threat in the kick return game. They had to replace him. Colin Saunders was a third-round draft pick by the Kansas City Chiefs, so he's gone. They graduated three of their starting linebackers, three of their four starting linebackers from a year ago. They graduated a couple starting safeties and cornerbacks. So they've really, other than the offensive line, they've really kind of had to rework things as, as they've gone in the offseason and into this year. And it's really kind of starting, it's really kind of shown early so far. So you mentioned that they're reworking things. Are they similar schematically that they were last year or have they changed things up? Offensively, you're still going to see kind of a pro set. The issue that Western's going through right now in offense, though, is they've had a ton of injuries to their skill position guys in the preseason and two weeks in. There's the returning receiver from a year ago, John Brunner, broke his foot late in the fall camp, so he's going to be out for a while. Their leading rusher, other than McShane last year, Max Norris is out. Their second leading rusher, returning rusher from last year, Vic Johnson, got hurt. And they had two transfers who came in, Deontes Thompson, who was from uh, Richmond, and so oh, I'm going to forget the other guy's, the other guy's name here. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he got hurt. They both got hurt last week. So they're both, they're like I said, they're working in so many new faces. It's kind of t- difficult to keep track of everyone, but they, they've lost their top, the four guys they thought were going to be their top four running backs. have all gotten hurt these first couple weeks, but it's still going to be a pro set on offense. You're going to see a lot of jet sweep. You're going to see a lot of outside motion from your receivers. Not a lot of run pass option stuff. It, it's it's all kind of called. It's not they're not putting that on the quarterback to kind of make that read. But you do see a lot of jet stuff. You'll see a lot of that look. Defensively, they've gone from a three four to more of a four three look. Like I said, linebacker was a real strength for this team a year ago. They graduated three of their starters. They were deep on the defensive line, so they kind of made that adjustment where they took one of their more athletic defensive ends. And instead of putting him at the outside linebacker in a three four, they've kind of lined him up on the on the D line now. So it's more of a four three look on the on the defensive end. And they've been playing a lot of man this season in the secondary. They've been beat a lot of beat a lot over the top, like I said. So I would not be surprised to see if they maybe make some adjustments this week as far as their defensive backfield look. But I'd say going from the three four to a four three is the, the big major change on the defensive side of the ball. Well, Western certainly has a reputation for having a strong kind of a blue-collar type defense. Um, how do you see Western trying to limit MSU's ground game, which has been pretty potent so far, at least in the one FCS game we played, Texas Tech game, kind of notwithstanding. But how do you think the Leathernecks will go about limiting the ground game? I think Western's just got to get aggressive and really kind of stack the box and, and dare Montana State to, to, to throw the ball. Last year, that's uh, the, kind of the blueprint for what Western did a year ago. And the Anderson kid, he just showed that it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, <laughs> he's got the ball. In the, if he, he, won, he won that game a year ago, and I know he's doing a little bit of everything this year. He probably won't be a quarterback, but I wouldn't be surprised because he's a guy who just changes the game no matter no matter where he plays, but I think Western's going to have to try and make them to make them throw the ball. And it looked like they kind of ironed out some of them with quarterback issues a week ago, or I should say in week two. Uh, but Western's just really, I think they, they're going to stack the box and they're going to try and stop the run first and, and hopefully make some plays in the defensive backfield and in, in, in the, against the passing game. I think that would be a pretty decent strategy as we're still kind of breaking in a redshirt freshman quarterback who has some inconsistency issues so far. So, I've, I mean, that would be a good way if, if I were as Western Illinois to kind of attack the MSU offense. Yeah, I just – I think right now the going – stopping the run is probably the strength of this defense. They looked really good doing that against North Alabama. In spurts, they looked pretty good against Colorado State doing that. It's just the passing defense was really suspect, and it it really is just not getting into the backfield, not 
getting after the quarterback and just your guys just not communicating on the back end and, and really kind of working together against uh, receivers just kind of going down the field on them. So uh, it's got to be a stop the run first and, and dare Montana State to throw for Western. You would think they would be trying to dial up some pass pressure to make our young quarterback uncomfortable. Has that been um, successful for them? It doesn't look like it uh, on the start, but do you think that they could have some success in that area? You know, they, they're very deep. They're very, they're very deep along the defensive line. They'll probably run about six or seven guys out there. I really thought that would be the strength of the defense. I think over the course of the season, it will be, I they just got to get those guys back there and make plays. You know, Shabar Wilson is a really talented defensive tackle. Kyle Williams is a really good end. LaCale London was in, was a preseason uh, All-Missouri Valley uh, defensive end. They've got the guys. They've just got to get back there and make the plays, and that's just been the problem mm-hmm. so far. And I don't know if it's a case of guys are so leery about the the run play that they're they're just kind of moving in slow motion to make sure they're not getting caught off guard because Colorado State and North Alabama those are two teams that do that did do kind of a lot of the read stuff, that fake draw stuff when you're out of shotgun, and that really does slow your pass rush. And they're probably going to Western's going to probably get a lot of lot of that this weekend again. So it just might be a case of hey, just go back there and go get the ball, and if they run it, let the linebackers do the work. So that's probably Western's best case scenario as far as getting into the backfield and making plays. Well, our coach, uh, Coach Choate, after the game yesterday, he mentioned that um, our win sets this game up for even to be more important for us. And so um, I know we're going to take the check across country to come to Macomb. What should we expect for like the crowd and the atmosphere? Well, that's going to be tough to say because Western historically in the last, I shouldn't say historically, I should say recently has not drawn very well as far as uh, home football games go. It's just been a struggle really to get a lot of people to come. You'll come if you come up a couple hours before the game. The tailgate lot's going to be plenty full. You might have trouble finding the spot there, but the issue is just getting those people from the tailgate lot into the stadium, and and that's been a real problem for Western Illinois in in recent years is creating that real big home field advantage. Because let's face it, it's tough to get to Macomb. It's really difficult. It's a and you got to take advantage of that and make it even more difficult once people are here. You make it tough on people getting here. Once they're here, you got to make it tough for them, and that's just been an issue for Western. Well, this is the first home game of the year. So, you, you know, we hope for both teams that there's a good crowd there to cheer them on and kind of create a, a nice atmosphere for everybody. Yeah, it, you know, it's, I, I talk to a lot of people around the Missouri Valley, and they always mention how tough it is to get to Macomb. And I remind those guys it's just as tough to get out of Macomb. So maybe being at home will help Western a little bit because they have had two really difficult road trips. They're on, an, on a bus nine hours to North Alabama a week ago then the cross-country flight out to Fort Collins. So it's been a two weeks of difficult travel for Western, and it'll probably help them to let everyone come to them for the next three home games, for the next three games. No doubt. Well, Scott, thank you for your time. I was appreciating all the good information you gave us and uh, our listeners. Oh, yeah, no problem, guys. I appreciate you having me on and talking a little football. It's always nice to – you know, you talk about the players. It's also nice for the writers to kind of get the bad taste out of one game and look forward to the next game out of your mouth and out of your head. Hey, Scott, where can we find maybe you on Twitter and some of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at it's Hot Scotland. It just kind of imposed the or reverse the SC and the H. It's Hot Scotland eighty one at Twitter dot com or on Twitter. I guess Hot Scotland is the name to look for. Or Hot Scotland eighty one, I should say. 
And uh, everything I write, I usually link throw it there on the Twitter link. So you can just go there. McDonoughvoice.com is our website. Uh, so pretty much anything I've written on Western, not just the last week or so, but leading up to the season, all the preseason stuff, it's in our archives. You might have to hunt for a little bit because it's been probably buried a lot around behind a lot of high school stuff. But, yeah, everything's up there if you're looking for any kind of dive on, on Western. Sounds good, Scott. And thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. We'll see you. Yeah. Well, that was Scott Holland from the McDonough County Voice. We thank him again for his thoughtful insight in this time. Yeah, that was really nice having him on. I'm enjoying getting these guys on to talk about their teams and learn more about the teams because it's way more than we could ever research on our own. You can only read so much, but a guy who sits there and covers the team and talks with the players and coaches, he's going to have a real good feel for it. So, again, appreciate coming on, Scott. Thanks. Right on. Well, it's that time for the back end of our show. Um, If you've been listening to us, we've been doing – uh, this for a while, we've been going over our bold predictions, and we also have some buy or sell. Unfortunately for today, I noticed we did not have a golden koozie question uh, for this week, and that's on you guys. Please send us your golden koozie questions so I can send you one of our special golden koozies that says R&R Catcast. It has a cool little helmet football or little logos on there, and it says Montana State Football. You're nothing if you don't have a golden koozie. Not only so. did I refuse to drink a Missoula beer for the game, <laughs> but I made sure to put my koozie on, and clearly it propelled us to victory. <laughs> Absolutely. We even texted pictures of ourselves mm-hmm. using our golden mm-hmm. koozies. Come on, people. Send us your questions. <laughs> All right. So last week we had some bold predictions. Thorny said we would win by two scores. Thorny. You were spot yep. on. And when I said two scores in my head, I was thinking two touchdowns, but I uh, chickened out a little bit and said two scores. <laughs> but for some reason, I just felt like this game was going to be exactly what it was, just to come out and this is who we are now. No more pussyfooting around. Boom. Yeah. So my first bowl prediction was we were going into halftime losing, but we'd come out with a win. And I barely missed that. I... Gosh, we went in halftime with a tie score of 10-10. My wife just got so mad at me because when they hit that that extra point, or not that extra point, that field goal to tie that 10-10, after we just intercepted the ball, Jacquey Allen intercepted the ball, Bryce Dirk got a personal foul, and they hit a 55-yard field goal. I let out a cuss word. My wife scolded me because my two boys were upstairs. It was not good. I was ticked off. Sorry. So, um, yeah, that did not go well in the Foley household. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a bad moment all around. I was just ticked. And it just felt like so many other Bobcat moments we've experienced in my life. And I think that's what just let me down. I was just like, man, when the moment is on the line, when we could just make a statement, we just let these guys come back in and just get a little bit of momentum going into halftime. And it just, just irked me to know, oh, man, I just – I hated it. So uh, how did you handle that, Thorny? You know, I was pretty frustrated, but <laughs> I still felt like we were the better team, and I felt like it was going to turn our way. And as the, the second half, first drive, to me, obviously the key plays of the game is when we came out and said, all right, this, that we're taking the second half. That made the adjustments, three plays, touchdown. So I felt pretty good, even after the frustrating end of the first half. Okay. Well, I'm glad you are more mature than I am. It's true. <laughs> I did not handle that well. And then uh, my second bold prediction was 
Uh, Bauman throws for three TDs. Uh, he did not hit one. He, we missed a golden opportunity early on, but we didn't even have any other opportunities. Well, that's not true. We had, we had some opportunities, but we did not hit any throwing touchdowns on Saturday. So, Thorny, you hit yours. I was down two. You win last week. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about bull predictions or prediction this week. What do you got? So after listening to our interview with Scott about him talking about how Western is a little susceptible to the big play, especially in the passing game, I'm saying Bauman throws for 200 over 200 yards, which I think is pretty bold considering the situation we've been in. Right on. Greater than 200 yards, Bowman. I think he can do it. I have that we will have greater than five sacks. Ooh, that's a tough call, but within the realm of possibility, yeah. So I'm I'm saying greater than five sacks, so it's got to be six. Or maybe okay. I should, should I say greater than or equal to the five sacks? That's up to you. How bold do you want to be? I'm going to go I'm going to go greater than or equal to 5 sacks. So 5 sacks are greater. That's going to be my bold prediction for okay. for this weekend. All right. Go on Mountain Dew bold and not surge bold. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. All right. We'll okay. put, we'll play some <laughs> we'll, All right. Um we'll play we'll play some buy or sell. All right. Thorny, time for some buy or sell. You're on the hot seat. Ready? Yes. Okay. Buy or sell, Thorny. Win over SEMO was Choate's most impressive win. Yes, I think I'm buying that one so far. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm buying it. Okay. Such a hard call, but yes, I'm buying it. That's it. I'm just leaving it at that. Okay. So buy for Thorny on that one. You got to write that down. All right. There we go. Second one kind of goes with your bold prediction. So... I'm sorry to know your bull prediction, but this one says, by yourself, MSU will pass for greater than 300 yards against the Leathernecks. Uh, I will buy that because Bauman will get 200, and then Johnson will get 100 on like two six-inch passes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just floating up there water balloon style, as you said, and Logan will take it around the – the corner on that jet sweep and it's going to go to the house. That's I like right. it. Okay. Last one, Thorny. Buy or sell. This is for you. I am a good person to watch MSU football with. So that's for you. So I is for you. Yes, I'm buying that. I'm a great person to watch anything with because I'm awesome. So what's the problem? Okay. <laughs> All right. I keep it pretty, I keep it pretty even keel and I have plenty of drinks. So yeah, I would say I'm good to, Watch a game with. Okay. Don't get too up or down. Thorny, you are off the hot seat. You bought everything, though. I'm disappointed. You're a good you. salesman, I guess. Okay. I'm going to make them harder next week. All right. Uh, let's see here. Foley. Buy or sell. Win over SEMO was Choate's most impressive win. I'm buying that. I think those uh, Grizz games were impressive, but the way we beat – Simo, especially in the third quarter, we had 240 yards in the third quarter. At one point, Simo had minus seven yards before they squeaked in that touchdown right before the third quarter ended, and they ended up with like 30-some-odd yards of total offense. We just dominated them. And for if it wasn't for a couple mistakes in the first quarter, 
we would have had probably 10 more points. It would have just been a complete blowout. From top to finish, I think that was Choke's most impressive victory in a big-time game when it mattered. So I'm buying that all day long. All right, number two. MSU will pass for greater than 300 yards against the Leathernecks. Uh, after listening to Scott, I believe that's going to be true, so I'm going to buy that. I think we're going to have uh, right around that 300 yards. I don't think we'll go into the 400s. So that would be really impressive. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go for about 300, so I'm going to push it over, and I'm going to say we're going to go greater than 300 on that. I'm going to buy that. And last question is, I am a good person to watch MSU football games with. I can't sell that enough. I am like a cat on a hot roof. I pace. <laughs> I, I yell at the TV. Uh, my wife says I make watching football unenjoyable for her. <laughs> uh, I have to isolate myself. Sometimes I can't even look at the screen because I get too nervous. I, I mute the screen sometimes so I can't hear what happens. I, I've struggled this with this for many years. I take it too seriously. In fact, sometimes going to live games makes it hard for me. I, was, I wasn't like this when we were in college. Um, I got like this probably, you know, sand, or post-college when I was watching the games. And I don't know. I just I, I take it too seriously. I know I need to work on it. It's something I try to improve every year. But like big games like SEMA was, I was, I was nervous. I was pacing. I was... I'm not a good person to watch. So if you're if if you're watching the game with me, I'm pretty annoying. I'm best just watch it by myself and then uh, do a replay when it comes on. Then I feel fine after that. So I'm definitely selling. Don't watch MSU football with me. I used to be kind of that way. I've gotten a lot better. It took me a long time to kind of not let it get to me so much. But uh, if anyone knew me in college, I definitely like to have my fair share of uh, alcoholic beverages. But when it came to tailgating, I didn't hurt. I drank maybe like one beer. I was way too nervous. I was way too excited. And I found that beer was just a waste. So I didn't even drink before the tailgates in college because I got just too excited for the game. So I know the feeling. I certainly know how you can feel about that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it, Thorny. That's all I have. All right. Sounds good. Uh, as usual. Please subscribe, like us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, RRCatCast, and leave us some feedback on Bobcat Nation, wherever. And please submit some questions for us to talk about, and we'll send you a golden koozie, a beer koozie for your trouble. So thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it, and go Cats. Go Cats. <laughs>